This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. We're going to read Matthew 14, 22 to 23. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Jesus got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Well, during the past few months, we've had a, a conversation here in the church about a biblical story, and really what that means is, is as we look through Scripture and uh, we read about God's work all through His Word, is there a particular story in Scripture that that we as a church identify with? That we say, yes, this story, um, we identify with that narrative, with that aspect of Scripture as a church here at Community Covenant. Uh, Stephanie Stockhouse, who's here this morning, helped facilitate that conversation with a group of people who gathered together just to prayerfully discern what is our biblical story as a church. And Stephanie's here this morning um, to share with us um, what the Lord led that team, uh, what scripture the Lord led that team to. So, Stephanie, thank you. Welcome. Thank you. And we are looking forward to hearing about the biblical story of Community Covenant Church. Thanks, Pastor Todd. Good morning. Um, A number of people in that group are here today, and I want to thank them for their work. Um, When we came together to try to figure out a story, we had a number of different ones And we were all very um, excited about our stories. So we had to narrow it down and talk about it. And we came up with a list of some themes that we'd like to see in our story that we thought would be um, important. And you can see them up there. And if uh, Pastor Tyler has sung a lot of songs about these themes that we thought were important about our church, faithfulness, compassion, answering the call, this is the time. Sitting at Jesus' feet, obedience, trust his timing, and get out of our comfort zone. So I'd like to start our story this morning giving a little background, and I call this Jesus' bad day, because when he woke up that morning of our story, 
he was hit with the news that his best friend, his cousin, the one who came to proclaim Jesus, the one he compared to Elijah, he said was the greatest man that ever lived, John the Baptist, had been killed by King Herod over a drunken bet to appease his vengeful wife. Such a senseless end to a great man's life. Jesus wanted to be alone. He wanted to grieve. He wanted to go up to the mountains and cry out to God. So they got in their boat, and if you read Matthew, they're constantly going back and forth the Sea of Galilee. It's very confusing. (laughs) But they get into their boat, they go over to the other side of the sea, and instead of a desert place Jesus was looking forward to, he found a crowd of people waiting for him. And the Bible says he had compassion on them. He healed their sick. He ministered to them. There are thousands and thousands of people. And at the end of the day, they were very hungry. And the disciples said, just send them away. We don't have any food. Go get their own food. And Jesus said, no, I'm going to feed them. And he ended up doing what we call the feeding of the 5,000, probably more like 10,000 or 15,000 if you add in all the women and children. Tremendous miracle. But by the end of the day, Jesus was exhausted mentally, spiritually, physically, emotionally, and he finally got a chance to be alone. So he sent his disciples and said, go over to the other side again of the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful picture of the Sea of Galilee, and I just want to talk about it a little bit. It's an integral part of Israel throughout its history. It's the lowest freshwater lake in the world, below sea level. It supplies most of the drinking water to that area, and in the desert, that is very important. It's also the sides or the um, site of a lot of wars over the water, of course. So it's about eight. I'm sorry, 13 miles long at its longest, eight miles wide at its widest, 33 miles of shoreline. And this was the lake that uh, Jesus and his disciples went back and forth. But it was a busy lake at the time of Jesus. There were probably 230 fishing boats at one time. 2,000 or more species of fish. So it was a busy, busy place. But the important thing for this story, you can kind of see in the background, the lake is surrounded by high hills. So what would happen is cold water from the hills would hit the hot water from the lake. Tremendous storms and winds and waves would result without warning. You know how good our weather meteorologists do at predicting the weather. Often there was no warning for these storms to happen. Now I know that the kids from Sunday school last week learned about another storm on the Sea of Galilee that happened prior to this. So storms were part of the life. And on the Sea of Galilee, it wasn't a matter of if a storm would happen. It was a matter of when. Now, in the book of Matthew, there's a list of Jesus' disciples. Um, There were 12 of them, and we know a a lot about some of them and not so much about the others. just like to point out five for today because they're important to our story. Peter, James, John, and Andrew were all fishermen. They were part of the 230 fishing boats that were on the Sea of Galilee. Now, they were very experienced with storms. They knew their boat. They knew the water. They knew what could happen, and they had survived many storms. Matthew, the tax collector, not so much. 
Matthew's important because if we were in first century Israel and I said, Matthew, the text collector, you would all go, boo, right? He was the bad guy. He took the money from the Israelites, gave it to the Romans, and if he added a little extra for his own pockets, that's okay. He was allowed to do that. Nobody liked him. So I'm pretty sure that he didn't go out on many boats. He was not familiar with the water. He is the author of the book of Matthew where this story is. I'm just going to talk about the story while you can enjoy the art. <laughs> um, Jesus sent his disciples across the Sea of Galilee, and the disciples went. Clear-cut obedience. Jesus said, go, and they went. Now, Matthew's sitting in the boat, maybe a little uncomfortable, and he's watching as the winds get higher, the waves get stronger. The boat starts to rock a little bit, but he's not too nervous because Peter and John are still joking and maybe eating their dried fish, having a good time. He's okay. Then he notices Peter and John are getting a little more anxious. They're putting the sail up. They're putting the sail down. They're saying, Drive into the wind or steer into the wind. Go, no, don't go into the waves. Oh, no, you're crazy. And he noticed the waves are coming over the boat. Different translations say they were overwhelmed. They were afraid. They were out of control. And then while Matthew is trying to figure out what to do, because he doesn't know how to help, he's just sitting there, they see a figure comes towards them, and somebody says, it's a ghost. So now if Matthew isn't scared enough with the, when the wind and the waves, now they see a ghost coming towards them, which is never good, right, seeing a ghost. But the figure speaks, and he says things that they didn't expect, and he says, don't be afraid, I'm here. And all of a sudden, somebody in the boat says, it's the Lord, and they realize it's Jesus. And as they realize that, Matthew is still trying to figure it out. The waves are still going. The wind is still whipping. But Peter, crazy, spontaneous, impulsive Peter, often acts before he thinks, jumps over the side of the boat and said, Jesus, if that's you, tell me I can walk on the water. Never been done before. To my knowledge, has never been done since. Jesus says, come on out. So he does. And for a little while... Peter is looking straight at Jesus, runs towards him on the water. And then I wonder what happened. I don't know what distracted Peter first. Maybe it was the guys still in the boat saying, Peter, come back. Don't be a fool. You're going to drown. You know, they're still in the boat. May not be the safest place, but they know it's safer than walking on the water. Maybe it was pride. Maybe he turned around and goes, Woohoo, guys, look at me. I'm walking on the water. Took his eyes off Jesus. Or maybe his brain caught up with his body and it was all internal. And he started saying to himself, Peter, what are you doing? You can't walk on water. Are you crazy? I don't know what it was, but I know he took his eyes off Jesus. He noticed the waves. He noticed the winds. And he began to sink. Now, Peter had a choice still. He had his friends in the back of the boat. He could have said, John, throw me a rope. Andrew, bring the boat around. Come get me. Man overboard. He didn't do that. He figured, the one who helped me get out of the boat is the one who's going to save me now. And he said to Jesus, Lord, save me. And Jesus said, oh, Peter, can't you trust me? But he lifts him up, 
out of the water. Peter grabs onto Jesus, and now he's not looking on him. He's hanging on him. They walk back to the boat. The minute Jesus gets in the boat, the storm stops, and it's quiet. It's still, that quiet after a storm. And something very important happens. Because the disciples up to that time in Matthew had seen many miracles of Jesus. They'd seen him heal lepers, blind men, heal the paralytics. They even saw him bring a young girl back to life after she was dead. They had been in another storm, which you guys learned about last week. And at the end of that storm, they said, Who is this guy? He can even calm the storms. This time, in that quiet, holy moment, their hearts and their minds were opened, and they bowed down, and they worshipped him as a son of God. And their lives were never, ever the same. So this is a wonderful story. We've heard it many times in Sunday school. Even if you're not a believer, even if you don't know the Bible very well, when someone thinks they're something else, we go, eh, that guy thinks he can walk on water. Right? It means that they, they think they're something. They think they're special. They think they can do things nobody else can. But I'd like to point out a couple things of why we, why I think we chose this story in our group of 12 that day. Um, there's some key points, and you can apply them individually, but specifically we want to apply them to our church. First one is this. Even when we are obeying God, it's not a matter of if storms will come, but when. Now, I have to say, I don't like this one. Uh, Somewhere along my life, I figured out that if I obeyed the rules, if I behaved morally, ethically in my job, in my personal life, somehow I could avoid the big storms, the overwhelming storms. But it's not true, is it? And when that happened, I got very angry at first. I felt life was unfair. God, God didn't do what he told me he would do. But of course he didn't, right? Jesus said, in this world, you will have troubles. Paul said, we are pressed on every side, knocked down, boiled over. And even in our story, the disciples were obedient to Jesus. And they faced an overwhelming storm. But, there's a but. Jesus promises to meet us in the storm. Um, I don't especially like the first one, but I cling to the second one. Um, The disciples did not know at first who he was or what he was going to do. They were still in the storm. They were still overwhelmed. They were still in trouble. But Jesus said words that had been passed down through the ages, the exact language that God has said to his people, Don't be afraid. I'm here. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Now, kids, see if you can see the different names I'm going to talk about in this word puzzle. I'm just going to mention uh, some of them. Um, Abram, leave your house. Leave your family. Leave what you know. Take everything with you. Take your possessions. Go to this faraway place that I will show you. But don't be afraid. I'm with you. We have Isaac. We have Jacob. We have Moses. Moses, go to the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh of Egypt. 
Tell him you'd like him to release all his slaves that do the bulk of the work in his kingdom. And tell him that you'd like to do that now. Um, and if he doesn't, you're going to send plagues and you're going to make him do that. You go tell Pharaoh that. But don't be afraid. I am with you. Joshua, go conquer the promised land. Go through there. You're going to have lots of battles. You're going to have lots of uh, stress. But be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God speaks to his people over and over and over again. There's prophets. There's kings. This is just a partial list of those he spoke to, the same words. And when the disciples heard Jesus' words, they were the same as God speaking to Moses. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Um, I've been enjoying reading this book by Rabbi Harold Kushner. He's best known for the book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. The book I'm reading is The Lord is My Shepherd, Healing Wisdom of the 23rd Psalm. He's discussing the verse, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. God's promise was that when we have to face the pain and unfairness of the world, as we inevitably would, we would not have to face it alone, for he would be with us. He wrote this after the death of his 13-year-old son to a rare genetic disease. But things don't change in the New Testament. I said the first part of the verse before, in this world you have trouble, but Jesus goes on. Don't be afraid. Be of good cheer. I am with you. Paul writes, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed and broken. We are perplexed, but we don't give up and quit. We are hunted down, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get up again, and we keep going. Through suffering, these bodies of ours constantly share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. The reason I cling to this promise is because I've struggled with anxiety and worry my whole life. It's a constant cloud over me when I'm faced with storms and difficulties. Um, It's interesting how God works. In the last two weeks, I've had three friends who have gone through some pretty hard storms, in my estimation. Um, Financial, personal, medical, physical. And all three of them said to me spontaneously, I trust God. I know you think I I should be worried, because I know me. Um, But I trust God to bring me through this. Whatever he does, I'm okay. They've learned this truth. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. One of them posted a modern-day version of this on her Facebook page. Don't worry. I got this about that. Don't worry. I got this. The other thing I I see in this story is that sometimes God enables us to do amazing things, but we'll fail if we take our eyes off him and get distracted. I want to understand that better. I want to know what that means to keep my eyes on Jesus. It has to do with my focus, my priorities, It's what I do with my thoughts and my time. It's something we do intentionally. It's a discipline. 
that we practice it in the good times so that when the storms hit, we know who to turn to. I don't know Peter's first distraction, but I know mine. I'm busy. When we talk to people now, we say, how you doing? Oh, busy, 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 everything's busy. Kids are busy, everybody's busy. Um, that's so true. And, and what we do oftentimes is good. If it's not good, let's have a different conversation, right? But most of the things we do are good, but they can distract us. Wonderful technology. Wonderful. Take you around the world, right? Google, the best Bible reference ever. Um, but it can be a distraction because we're so full of it. We don't rest. We don't take that time to focus on Jesus. And I think it has to do with Sabbath. I think it has to do with, um, with the discipline of time. But it also has to do with inviting Jesus into our work. God, is there somebody today I can touch, I can talk to, I can help? Is there somebody you're going to put into my path? Will you come with me? Give me strength to do what I need to do today. Like I said, I don't know Peter's distractions, but I know mine. Another verse, run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from start to finish, the author and finisher of our faith, the Alpha and the Omega. We need time alone. We need time to connect. We need time to think. And finally, Paul writes, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Pastor Mark used to remind us, keep the main thing the main thing. What does that mean? Another way of saying, keep our eyes on Jesus. But there will be times when we start strong and end up flat on our face like Peter. Even when we fail, Jesus doesn't leave us. Do I even have to go through the papers today to find out people who started strong, who were trustworthy, we believed only to fall? Do we even have to talk about history? Examples would be so so full of that, of people who started out strong and fall. Should we be surprised? If our eyes are on Jesus, if our focus is on Jesus, if we want to pursue Jesus, our enemy is going to try everything he can to get us out of the way. He's going to distract us. He's going to put storms in our lives that we think are overwhelming. He'll tempt us. He'll do whatever he can. So we shouldn't be surprised. But Peter learned that when he failed, Jesus was there to catch him. And that promise has not changed. Jesus said, be sure of this. I am with you always even to the end of the age. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. This was the first time Peter walked out and did dramatic things in faith, but it wasn't the last. It was the first time Peter got distracted and failed in his goal, but it wasn't the last. He had some spectacular fails. This was the first time Jesus rebuked Peter directly for his lack of faith, but it wasn't the last. 
This was the first time Peter restored, or, I'm sorry, Jesus restored Peter and set him back on his path, but it wasn't the last. Peter's journey took him many places, and as Pastor Todd said a couple weeks ago, he became the forefront of the early church. Powerful, powerful speaker. And towards the end of his life, Peter reflected on his journey, and this is what he wrote. If you are suffering according to God's will, keep doing what is right, and trust yourself to the God who made you, for he will never fail you. Peter, were you thinking of that day on the Sea of Galilee? Were you thinking of those days that you failed and Jesus was there to restore you? And one more. Our belief is strengthened when we have a personal experience with Jesus. All those other miracles, the other storm, whatever it was, that day was when the disciples turned and worshipped God. Now, our church has been known for many things over the years. Years ago, we were known as the rock and roll church. We're the friendly church. We're the church with a good youth group, church with a good kids group. Um, Or even now, we're the mystery box church. Yet at the end of the day, if you haven't gotten it yet from all the songs we've sung, the things we've said, the prayers we've prayed, we're a church that believes in Jesus, worships him, We want to watch where he's going and go with him. Our church is built on the faith of people (laughs) who got out of their comfort zone, dare I say, got out of the boat, and walked toward Jesus. We want to be that church. Is there a better story to represent that pursuit of Jesus? And Peter getting out of the boat, crazy Peter in the middle of a storm, and walking towards him. I don't know. I do want to say that if you think you have a better story, let me know. We'll be meeting again in about a year. Every now and then, looking back, what story? Because there's so much that we can learn. And as the worship team comes up, I'd just like to close in prayer. Lord Jesus, you come to us in our storms. And you say, don't be afraid. I am with you. You call us out of our comfort zones and walk beside us through our successes and our failures. You've been faithful to us in the past, and you will be faithful to us in the future. Lord, we love you. We believe in you. And we worship you.